welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to a Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing, Carol? Hey, what's up? How much? It's been a good week. It is September 22nd, 1995, and we are here to talk to you about all the news and all the TV shows and all the movies. That sounds like it'll take a really long time. we watched. Because we're going to talk about everything. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about all 17 million movies. Okay. How many Let's movies do you think they've ever made? Oh, dear God. Who knows? From the beginning of time, a.k.a., I don't know, 1930? I don't know. I think before that. Mm. I think that like the turn of the century, technically. I don't know. It depends on what you call the first movie, I suppose. Because, they're, you know, the, fir- the, the first movies, quote unquote, after Edison invented the, the camera, mm-hmm. what, were basically people waving, like, you know. I don't know, it's a minute and a half long. Right. That's not really a movie, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know. They make a few a month for many, many, many years. So. Real quick, no one cares about this, but do you know why Hollywood is the mecca of movie making around the world? Why? Because, as I, as I mentioned, Edison invented the movie camera, and he had his studios in... Or his whatever, not studios, but his his invention his invention place. Yeah. Okay. Yes. In Menlo Park, New Jersey. Okay. Nowhere and, near Hollywood. Right. And people said, you know, the movie industry or the the entertainment industry was based in New York, right by New Jersey. Okay. That's where Broadway was, still is, obviously, most most everything came out of there. And they wanted to use this invention. But he had a patent on it. And he's like, no, you can't. You, you got to pay me money to use it. And they were like, well, we don't, we don't want to pay you money. We just want to steal it and use it. So they were like, well, how can we just steal it and use it? Let's uh, move all the way across the country. Wow. <laughs> because back then, the, the legal system and the way lawsuits worked, it, it, everything was way slower. And him trying to, like, he tried in vain for years to sue them from New Jersey in California and just... Wow. Yeah. That's terrible. So basically, Edison, who wasn't the best person in the world from things I've heard, but he got totally screwed out of his patent for the movie camera. <laughs> yeah. I wonder whose idea that was. I don't know. Let's, they, they should they should be in trouble. Let's say that it was the guy that guy that made Birth of a Nation, that racist movie. Okay. D.W. Griffin. So yeah, he should he should burn in hell either way. Yeah, he's going to. Uh, or he already is. Uh, anyway, so news this week. Speaking of guys that probably aren't or maybe will burn in hell, and JFK Jr. is on Murphy Brown. Can you believe it? No. That's right. Murphy Brown grabs. The fall season publicity stunt prize. Well, that's what we should have watched for the show then. By landing John F. Kennedy Jr. (laughs) for a Ballyhooed cameo appearance on tonight's season premiere of the long-running CBS sitcom. And this begins by saying, female drool alert. (laughs) 
What do you think of JFK Jr.? He's cute. Yeah. That's it. I don't really think Okay. Of, I'm not I'm not like obsessed like all When's these he gonna other run for president? Are. Uh hopefully never. The Kennedys had their time, they're done. Oh wow, the Kennedys had one presidency. And they're done. Lee Harvey Oswald, or a conspiracy of many people, <laughs> made sure of that. It sounds like you were involved. <laughs> yeah, they're done now. We Whoa. took care of that. <laughs> no, I mean, it, I don't like it when there's multiple generations in a family that are president. I don't. Well, it's only happened once. And I don't like it. John. And I don't think it's just So when John again. Quincy Adams became president... <laughs> In the 1830s, you were like, I don't like it. This is too much like an aristocracy, Mr. Adams. Yeah. I support Andrew Jackson. I just don't think it's a good idea. All right. All right. But as far as JF. If any any president's sons ever run for or daughters i guess ever run for yeah, pre- happen. president of the united states you you won't vote for them then no probably not i mean it depends it would depend on who they're running against obviously i mean if it was somebody completely despicable then i would vote for anyone else all right <laughs> sounds good <laughs> vote against despicableness yes <laughs> that's our that's our firm political stance here uh, speaking of political stances, noted political person. No, I don't know. What? Noted author with some political ideas. Michael Crichton has written a sequel to his very popular novel, which was made into a somewhat popular movie, Jurassic Park. He's written a sequel. It's called Lost World. I'm very excited to read it. Apparently, it focuses on Ian Malcolm, a.k.a. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I'm sure it's there's, there's no... The fact that Jeff Goldblum was the breakout star of that movie has nothing to do with it, that everyone loves his uh, thing. Well, Must I go mean, faster. Must go faster. Do you, do you really think that the novelist cares what people thought about the actor in a movie? Maybe. I mean, that seems like a really dumb way to write a book. Like, but he didn't he, write he, Jurassic Park thinking, hey, Jeff Goldblum is going to get cast in the movie they're going to make. And you know he's going to be the breakout. Transylvania 6-5000, I want him in it. Right. Uh, the Fly. No, I, I, I didn't. I'm not saying that he was, but I'm saying that the, the fact that he was really popular might be an influence. Well, if it is, that makes me sad. Because I'll tell you. He should be focused on the creative process and not fame and fortune. I totally agree with you. But this movie and this book, in my opinion, did not need sequels. What? I can't wait. I can't wait to read the book. I can't wait for whenever they make a movie. It's going to be awesome. It's a completely self-contained story. Who cares? Like, what's going to happen? But I want more. <laughs> it's like when whenever you get to the end of a really good book That's and you just, so you just want more. Like, doesn't that happen? Like, you finish the book and you're like, damn, no, it's I don't want it to be done. Yeah, but then I move on to something else. But what if you just just get more? <laughs> Look, I know since we're dating, you're used to getting just more, but... <laughs> I get as much as I want. Yes, I do. But I'm just saying, 
So Stephen King. For, yes. There's there's a good there's a good example. I okay. I love Stephen King. I know you do. When I read one of his books, he, he's a person. I I don't think he's written any sequels, or or not any. Well, he's D- the Dark Tower, but right. but that's a series that he's writing. But other than that, because he's written three of those. Other than that, I, I don't think he's written a sequel to any of his books. But, so, so it's like when I read The Shining and I finish The Shining, right? I'm like, good book. Yes. But I'm not like, I want a Shining 2. It's not. What the, happened to Danny listen, when he got old? Listen. Did he also become crazy? I read The Shining also, and I didn't have that feeling of I want more when it was done. It was a great book. Some books are great, and they're fine on their own. But some are so, like, enthralling that you just, you don't want to end. You, like, connect with the characters so much that you just want to continue the story. But my point is, is that I just pick up another Stephen King book. Okay. Because I like the, so what you're, you can, you connect more to the, the care when, when it comes to books anyway, you connect more to the characters I'm talking about connecting to the voice, the okay. author's voice. Yeah. But I mean like, and I get what you're saying too though, because like Christopher Pike writes a ton of different horror books. I'm not familiar with him. He, he's a young adult author, so. Okay. Uh, but he writes tons and tons and tons of different stories and they don't connect. They're not sequels. He just spins them out really fast Mm -hmm. and they're good and i can read them in like a day like like an rl stein type person yeah okay so you know i I get it because that's how i feel with his books i'm not i don't finish them and be like oh i want it to keep going and i can just grab a different one but there are some that i'm not i don't want it to end so what is it about jurassic park that you want to want to see more with jurassic park it's more the world that they're in like i want to be part of that more Okay, the the world where dinosaurs exist. Yeah. Okay, I can I can see that. It's cool. It's exciting. It's yeah. I I, I want more. I assume by by the title of Lost World, I assume it's like people going back to the island. The park's been destroyed basically because of all the stuff that happened in Jurassic Park, and it's just this one island. Off the coast of, I can't remember what country, Costa Rica. Yeah. Off the coast of Costa Rica. Isla Nublar. Yeah, which which just has dinosaurs roaming around on it now. That's so crazy. So like wild. Like a, a King Kong type thing almost like, you know, where they find him in that like jungle place. Yeah, something has to happen though because I mean really they should have just died off. Well, yeah. The way the book's written. But obviously, they're going to have Eventually. some kind of twist. Well, they because they switch their sex, so they're breeding and stuff. Um. Yeah, I guess the new dinosaurs aren't going to need what they're getting. Aren't they giving them like a drug or something? Oh, I don't remember. I that sounds familiar, but I don't remember. And then they get sick without it. Yeah, that's that does sound familiar, but I don't remember. I read the book a, a little while ago, and obviously we saw the movie two, you know, a couple of years ago. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should see the movie again. Maybe we should see it for the first time. You know what we, we saw. Already for the, saw it. You know what we saw for the first time. No, I know. Just <laughs> you know what we saw for the first time was the Drew Carey show. Yeah, because it's only had two episodes. <laughs> so we're here to talk to you about the first two episodes of the Drew Carey. Yeah, we show. saw we saw the first episode last week, and we didn't talk about it because we're lazy. But yeah, this week was the second episode. Correct. And what do you think of the show in general? I like Drew Carey. Mm-hmm. He's funny. I'm enjoying the show. 
Uh, there's uh, there's a, a decent amount of his stand up is is found in its way in here. Yeah, you you pointed that out, and I don't love that. It seems like really lazy writing to me, and that concerns me. Well, that's when he's talking about the chili cheese dogs and stuff like that, and he's like, "That's a you know, like you know, onto the colon or you know, the heart right. or whatever." That's that's like I've because I've seen his stand up specials mm-hmm. on Comedy Central and stuff like that. That's like directly from his stand up specials, and he's the. He didn't put this in the show, but he had another thing. He's like, um, after you, he says something like, after you, it's like a race with the devil to get home. (laughs) Well, and see, I mean, it's funny. And I'm not familiar with the stand up. So, like, to me, the funny jokes are just funny. But But, I can see where it would be kind of like, wait a minute, I've heard that before. Well, I mean, it's not that disturbing to me. Like I said, you know the way these these episodes seem to be built, and every every show is different. This really, the way they're doing this show, really seems like a framework of, like I said before, it almost doesn't even really feel like a narrative. <laughs> I mean, they there are things that happen, but it almost feels like they just go in the writers' room. They just go scene by scene. It's like, okay, what's the basic plot of this episode? It's so like the first episode. It's uh, Drew's friend needs a job yeah. and she eventually gets the job. So they just kind of, okay, what scenes do we need for that? When we need the establishing scene where, where we find out that she's in her predicament, we need the scene where we find out he's hiring people. We need, you know, this and this and this, we need the, the interview scene and they come up with this character. What's her name? Mimi. Yeah. Mimi Bobek. The one that looks like a clown. Yeah. I said she looked like she was wearing a superhero mask. Yes. And so they, it's almost like they come up with these different scenes and they're like, okay, these are the scenes and this is the stuff they're going to have to say now a thousand jokes. And they just write joke after joke, after joke, after joke. And they, they fill it with as many jokes as humanly possible. It's the, it's the machine gun method of, of creating a sitcom where it's just like, let's just spray every joke that we can think of. And we'll get people, some people will be laughing. See, you sound, I mean, you make it sound like bad. No, I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. I'm just saying that's the method that they're using to try to make the most successful show they can. And because of that, I think, you know, they do, they do like, they'll have to grab from some of his stand up material because it's too many jokes to write there. They want you know, like, like funny scene, funny scene, funny scene, funny scene. That's how they're they're building the show, as mm-hmm. opposed to like, and it's similar ish to Seinfeld. Seinfeld is a little more. So here's a good. <laughs> I know I'm dominating this conversation, but here's a good juxtaposition. Okay, Jewish humor, and I'm not trying to be racist or Uh-oh. anything like that, but Jewish humor tends to be streetwise. Tends to be kind of. Uh, and almost like self-defensive, you know, where like to disarm somebody, to make somebody laugh, to, you know, stop bullying and, and, and stuff like that. Right. And, and like I said, very, very streetwise. Very, and Seinfeld is like that where he, you know, he notices he's very wisecracking, you know, that okay. that's like a, a Jewish sensibility of humor. Drew Carey is completely the opposite. <laughs> We're not completely opposite, but opposite where it's not that style of humor. It's more of a Midwest kind of, you know, goofball style of humor. And then there's the East Coast style of humor that's that's waspish, that's not uh, Jewish, is more nihilistic and stuff like that more, you know. And those are the three different kind of, you know, 
general types of humor. So to me, this is like a Seinfeld type show that's more goofball than Seinfeld is. Okay. That's how I see the show. I guess I see that. So I like it because I think he's charismatic and I think Ryan Stiles, who I always liked on Whose Line Is It Anyway, which is a British um, a British improvisational show that they they showed in England, uh, I think Clive Anderson is the name of the host, and they would have different comedians come on. Ryan, Ryan Stiles was one of them. Um, which one's Ryan Stiles? Oh, wait. No. Is, is his name... I always get those two confused. So I, I didn't ask because you're wrong. I asked because I don't know. The blonde one, the tall blonde okay. one. I think that's Ryan Stiles. And then there's another guy that I always get him confused with, whose name eludes me off the top of my head now. But he's also on that Who's Line, the British Who's Line is it anyway. They show reruns of it also on Comedy Central. But it's from like the, the late 80s. Okay. And I didn't watch the stuff, sorry. I always thought, I know you didn't, but I always thought that he was funny, and he's good on this show, and the other guy, Diedrich something, is also good as his other friend, and then the girl is good. Who plays Kate. Kate Oswald and Lewis in the show. Okay, yeah. Well, they're all they're all good. They're all charismatic. They have good chemistry together. That's the stuff that works about the show. Yeah. And I assume that as they go on... The, the personalities and idiosyncrasies of each character will, you know, flesh out more and more. Well, I'm sure. We're only two episodes in. Yeah. It's not a lot of time to work with. So that's, you know, and that's that will be the determiner if this show succeeds or not, is if they, they these actors can fully realize and flesh out their characters or not. So pool table in the backyard, though? Yeah, weird. Why? Why? Why would anyone do that? I assume just it's because it's it, like I said, it's 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 goofball, it's goofball humor. It's like, hey, what would be a funny idea? Oh, this guy wanted a pool table, but he can't. He doesn't have a house big enough to put a pool table in his house, so he just puts it in his backyard, like a goofball would. Right. <laughs> and now leaves get all over it. It rains on it, but he doesn't care. You know. You know how unrealistic that is. Because, oh, it's in, in horribly unrealistic. I mean, like, my one friend has a pool table, mm-hmm. and, like, no one's even allowed to bring drinks into the room where the pool table is. Oh, yeah, that pool table's ruined. <laughs> it's insane. Like, that pool table, it, it, that's that'd be like, once it rained on it once, then it's like you're shooting pool on carpet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't I don't get it, but whatever. Yeah. It's It's just a goofy thing to do. Like I said, that's that's what the show is. It's goofball and it's it's rapid fire jokes, which is fun. It's funny. It's what though. you said about friends too. It was rapid fire jokes. Well, that's basically just throwing things at the wall to see what stuck. That's what they do, though. That's what a lot of shows. Some shows it, do that. Some shows don't. I don't know. It just it seems insulting. I know you don't mean it that way, but it feels like it. Like I feel defensive of shows when you say that. It's just a different method for trying to write a funny show. Seinfeld does it a little bit differently. Seinfeld says, let's come up with absurd situations mm-hmm. and the humor will come up from that absurd situation. Other shows say, let's take a normal situation and make a bunch of jokes about it. Let's take a normal situation and make it funny. Seinfeld says, let's take an absurd situation and play it 
somewhat straight. Right. And that there's just different, it's just different ways to do humor. Okay. Not one's not better than the other necessarily. It's just different methods. But in general, I I enjoyed it. The second episode was him trying to date one of his coworkers. Not a coworker, a girl he just hired. Yeah. I mean, it was. A subordinate. Well, I'm not. It's just like he just hired her. Her name was Anita Hill. No. He gave her a cookie. What the fuck? Gave her a cookie? Is that what you said? A Coke can. What? With his pube on it. What is happening right now? <laughs> you don't remember the Anita Hill hearings? From like three years ago? No. Oh, wow. You need to pay more attention. Clarence Thomas sexually harassed Anita Hill. Okay. You got to be on the Supreme Court anyway, because fuck everything. We're not going to talk about... <laughs> Politics, so let's just move on. It was a simple joke that, that becomes less I'm funny sorry. when I have to explain it. I didn't know the joke. I'm sorry, honey. He wanted to date the girl he just hired. Mm-hmm. His boss found out they actually went on a date, which was dumb to right. go out in public on a date. Yeah, they should have just gone to back to his house and fucked. Yeah, maybe they should have. Whatever. It would have been better. So the boss finds out and tells him he has to break it off with her. Mm. And then Drew, stupidly, and I think he might have been serious, offers to leave his job. Yeah, where he's middle management and has worked for a long time. Apparently, because apparently he has lots of seniority and his boss loves him. Even though his boss like constantly yells at him. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, well, then you, get to, then you get to fire me. And he's like, Drew, you're one of our best employees. Well, then he made the joke about his seniority would cost too much because of the severance or whatever. So. And it'd be easier to kill him. Yeah. Who knows? But, yeah, he's been there a long time. It's the time. second time they've made a I would rather kill you than fire you joke in as many episodes. Because last week he was talking about hiring his friend, the girl, Kate. Uh-huh. And he's like, you know, what's going to happen when I'm eventually going to have to fire you? And she was like, you can just kill me. Oh, yeah. Weird. Yeah. So... This girl should have offered to leave. I disagree. Yeah, I I, I agree with, with the sentiment that she gave at the, at you know when when it comes to a head at the end where she says we barely know each other. Why should she give up this job? It's a good job. Why should she give up this job for the, the maybe they might hit it off? I guess. I mean, it's crazy. Just keep the job and say okay. Well, we won't date them. Well, and that's what they did. Yeah. But I she mean, says she can't even keep a hair color for a month. That's true. I mean, that when she said that, it makes a lot more sense. Because she knows she knows something about herself. Yeah, she's not going to stick it out. No. So, but if if they would stick it out, then I think it would be worth it. Because I mean, it's not like the best job in the world. It's putting together window displays. How many opportunities in Cleveland, Ohio, are there to do that? Though? I don't know how many uh, big department stores are there. That's what I'm saying. We know that there's a great mall in Columbus that excuses all the horrible things that happen yes, in Columbus. there is. <laughs> but we don't know if there's any good malls in Cleveland, Ohio. You know, I, I had a job briefly where I got to make window displays. Really? Yeah. It was in a toy store. Oh, yeah? Where I got to dress up teddy bears and put them in the window. It made me happy. It sounds like a job that a psychopath would get. <laughs> 
Like I can just see somebody at night just stalking and murdering people <laughs> and then coming back to, in the morning to dress up teddy bears in a window display. Wow. Wow. Maybe I'll write that story. You do that. I, I, I'm, you know, you took something that was magical and charming and made it gross. That sounded very charming. It was fun. Dressing up teddy bears. Like, it was fun. <laughs> did you talk to him while you dressed him up? Maybe. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you like this look, Mrs. Bear? <laughs> Maybe I'll put a little, you know, barrette in her hair. Sure, why not? Wow. All right. Well, where was that at? A toy store. Oh, okay. Like Toys R Us or something like that? All right. So, anyways. You're being coy about it. I don't want to say. We don't want to give free publicity to whatever toy store it was. Speaking of psychopaths. Yeah. We watched a movie this weekend. Oh, we did. Speaking of people that just go around killing other people. Right. And then turning themselves in. So, it was another Brad Pitt movie. This is the third we've done with Brad Pitt now? Uh, Well, we did Legends of the Fall. And Interview with a Vampire. Interview with a Vampire. And now? They, on Drew Carey, they mentioned that he was uh, people's hottest man yeah. alive or whatever, sexiest man alive. So, yeah. What I do guess, you think? I guess so, three is, movies. Is Brad Pitt a, the sexiest man alive? Well, you know I don't like blondes. Okay. But he's still hot, so probably. You think he's the sexiest man alive? Well, I mean, not to me, but because I still find him attractive, even though he has blonde hair, yeah, he's pretty hot. Okay, so noted. Brad Pitt is the sexiest man alive. According to People Magazine. According to you. No. I asked you. I said maybe. And not to me. Like I said, I, I'm just acknowledging Who's the, sexiest the man amount alive to of you? sexy you. Okay, there you go. That's the right answer. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> so, okay. He's starting out working with Morgan Freeman. Morgan. Who Freeman. is awesome as well. But I don't think we've done any of his movies yet. This is the first one. Didn't we do the Shawshank Redemption? He was in that. I don't think we did. That was last year. We like mentioned it, but I don't think we really covered it. Oh, wow. Well, we saw it. Sometimes we see movies that we don't talk about with you. Right. <laughs> Sorry. We don't share every aspect of our lives. Almost, but not quite. Uh, but yeah, we saw we saw that and he was in that. I guess we didn't cover it, though. And I'm, I mean, I'm trying to think of other movies. I mean, he was, you know, Driving Miss Daisy, I remember that, but that was before we even started the show. Yeah. So... I don't know. I, this might be the first one, yeah. But, yeah, so he's awesome. And oh, a great actor, yeah. He was. He's getting ready to retire. Now, I don't totally understand what department they work for. Homicide. But Brad Pitt's character said that he worked for Homicide for five years before he came to this position. And, and they were talking about how he fought to get there and stuff. Like, where? He transferred from upstate New York. To New York to City. To New York City. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a transfer of, like department or a promotion it was just changing location he fought to get into new york city that sounds really stupid i well, that's what morgan freeman was right that's morgan Fre well yeah it worked out for him that's <laughs> morgan freeman's that's morgan freeman's point in the movie is that that was that if, no he'd never heard of that yeah never heard of anybody fighting to get into new york homicide Wonder why? I wonder why he wanted to so mad. I wonder he, what internally was driving him that we don't really find that out. All he says is he thought he could do some good. Yeah, I mean, I guess he just wanted to be more challenged or whatever. I feel bad for his wife, not only for the obvious reasons, but mm -hmm. um, because they're high school sweethearts, right? 
and they move to New York City mm-hmm. so he can do this job. So obviously she's going to go with him. He's her whole world, right? Well, they're married too. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I assume they made that decision somewhat together. But I mean, she had a life. He he was established. She taught fifth grade, I think yeah. you said. So like, why, why did he do that to her? Like he just uprooted her from everyone and everything for him to go do this, that he thing he wanted to do that ended up being really, really, really bad. It's an interesting, interesting question. And we'll never know the answer. Makes me kind of sad. Well, unless they make a sequel to this movie. <laughs> I don't think Eight. they can. <laughs> but the point of this movie. Yeah. So. Was um, that seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. There was a serial killer. Killing people using the seven deadly sins. Yeah. Interesting idea. The guy that wrote this movie apparently was working at Tower Records when he wrote this movie. Huh. Which I think is pretty cool. And uh, the director is David Fincher. Okay. Who directed the Alien 3 movie, which is not... Not the best. Great. But this is really good. Yeah. This was a very... I, I really enjoyed this movie. So, from here on out... We could say anything about this movie, anything that might spoil the movie for anybody. Yeah. So if you haven't seen seven or even one through six, go see it, go see all seven of them <laughs> and then come back to us. But if you have seen seven, then strap in for our takes. Well, hello, everybody. It's future Mark and future Carol here. Hey, what's up? We're here to talk to you about an exciting sponsor for our show called My Bookie. Are I'm you fam- very excited. Are you familiar with My Bookie's work? No, not really. <laughs> so you're aware what a bookie is? Yes. We saw hidden gems. They're guys that sit inside vestibules and steam while you win a, fo- a basketball bet and then shoot you in the head afterwards. Okay, so spoilers I don't think we should for, be working with them then. Spoilers for inside gems or hidden gems or uncut gems, right. whatever the hell it's called. That um, Adam Sandler piece of crap, yeah. Yeah. So, no, my bookie, though, they take the middleman, the guy that shoots you in the head, out of the equation. And instead, you just go to mybookie.ag and you say, hey, this basketball game's going on right now. I think that I will bet on it and I'm going to place a safe and secure bet here at my bookie. And then when I win, I'll be able to cash out really easily. And that's all like legal and stuff now. Yes, absolutely. That's so cool. I didn't really realize that, you know, you could do that. Yep. The internet is an amazing thing. (laughs) And so is the winning season, which is returning to my bookie. You know what the winning season means, Carol? The winning season means doubling your first deposit. So all you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, use our promo code, which is RetroFees, and they will match dollar for dollar up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Oh, wow. That's a good deal. You put $1,000 in, they say, here's $1,000 to go nuts with. Should we Should we do that? Yeah, let's put $1,000 in. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, also, you know, there's... Sports is going on right now. The football season's probably going to happen from everything that I've heard. College football is going to happen. The NBA playoffs are going on right now. We got baseball heating up. Everything. And it's just, there's you know, you're stuck in the house. 
You're not driving all the way to the casinos, which aren't open, or they are open, but they're not supposed to be open. Or, <laughs> or they're in your buddy's distance. basement right now. Do you want to avoid coronavirus? Sit in your house <laughs> and bet. Watch sports and go on mybookie.com. AG. AG. Yeah, that's right. That stands for always good. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you sign up and you make your first deposit and they give you that dollar for dollar thing, you will be able to be eligible for a free entry into the famed MyBookie Super Contest. So to play this contest, all you have to do is pick five NFL games against the spread to have a chance at $100,000 guaranteed in cash prizes. That's not that hard. My friend Ben and I, when we used to live in Vegas, Carol and I used to used to live in Vegas, but this was be, this was actually before we lived in Vegas. He lived in Vegas twice. Yeah. Uh, we used to we used to uh, do that. We would bet. It's called a parlay and we'd bet against the spread and sometimes we'd pick 5 teams, sometimes we'd pick 10 teams. The more teams you pick, the bigger the payout. Five teams is actually not not super hard, but Ben and I have both done it before. Okay. Uh, the best part is my bookie has thousands of bets to choose on from the full NFL slate, the NBA playoffs, live betting to championship futures, which is betting on, you know, I think the Tigers are going to win the World Series. Okay. Right? Sure. Every, I don't, but sure. <laughs> every play you want to make is waiting for you. At my bookie, it is simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Well, that that does sound simple. Yep. I think you would need to talk to me quite a bit about all this different sports jargon first, but I'm all in. you need to we'll know is to use the promo code RetroFees and double your first deposit. It's a no brainer. Yay! Back to 1995. It's so much better there. Uh so Morgan Freeman plays. Somerset and William Somerset. Yeah, William Somerset. And I can't remember his first name, but Mills is the last name. Is it David Mills? Something like that? I think so, but I'm not sure. That's Brad Pitt. Yeah. So this movie is a bunch of cliches. Morgan Freeman's the, the grizzled veteran who is world weary and wise and emotionally disconnected from his work and is about to retire in seven, you know, in in seven Seven days. days. But he's not that emotionally disconnected. He's just emotionally destroyed. I mean, he's begging to get off the assignment. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't want it to be his last assignment. And we find out that he sleeps with the light on and uses a metronome. So just saying. Can, yeah, we can. If I can do the overview <laughs> real quick, and then we can dig into the deeper psychological. Because there's a lot of deeper psychological elements going. So he is the world weary, you know, disconnected guy. Okay. And Brad Pitt as Mills is the fiery hot, don't play by the rules kind of rookie cop. Even right. though he's not really a rookie, but. You know, he's new to this scene. Yeah. And got the the captain or whatever, you know, that appears very briefly at the, the beginning of the movie. He's got a couple scenes in the beginning of the movie. He's not in the movie much. His dialogue's basically like, you know, make it work. You know, kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know there's some murder going on, all that stuff. So it's it, the whole movie is based on a bunch of cliches. But it works. Yeah, it's not cliched. No, the and I think part of it is the writing. 
I think part of it's the direction, which is why I mentioned the writer and the, the director up top. Uh, part of it's the acting because Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, who are very good together, bring a lot to the movie that I think maybe doesn't even necessarily exist on the page. Like, I think they elevate. Yeah. I think they both elevate what could be underwritten characters. I agree. Yeah. I mean, they, they bring so much to everything. They're both very talented. And it goes in places that are not cliche, but the setup's very cliche. And I think it's almost done on purpose to give the, us a kind of false sense of security of like, you know, this story. Yeah. But then when you get, cause you know, the, it's dreary, it's always raining in New York, like they're in Seattle or something like that. And you get to the first murder, which is pretty disturbing. Oh, yeah. And then it just kind of goes, it goes bananas off from there. And I think that's, I think that's kind of the, the shock factor of, the movie is a big part of it. The twists along the way are a big part of it. But I think, like I said, the, the direction to me is one of the stars here because a lot of it's, it, and I'll get technical just for a very small segment here, but a lot of it is pretty standard stuff where like medium two shots and, and close-up shots, shot reverse shot with dialogue and stuff like that. A lot of it, is so that like the bones of the movie are pretty standard kind of camera movements, camera placements, things like that. But then there are times like when they go into John Doe's uh, apartment and everything where the camera, they, they're taking the notebooks they find, they find Morgan Freeman specifically, Somerset mm-hmm. is picking up a notebook, looking at it and everything. And the camera kind of goes it comes from the the bookshelf, right? And it kind of slowly pans to him, goes up to him reading the book. The camera looks like it's creeping around. <laughs> yeah. Almost almost like it's from the killer's point of view, but we know the killer's not there. We know it's not from, from the killer's point of view. But it's very voyeuristic, the camera in this movie, and it's it's like I said, it, it's creeping around the edges and it, it gives a really unsettling feeling. And I think that's another big, big part of the reason why this movie works as well as it does. It's very good atmosphere. Obviously the tone's consistent the entire way through, but it's very good atmosphere. And another thing that I like about it before I, we get to your thoughts on it, but Another thing that I really like about it is that it's not a mystery. This guy, I guess we can just, like I said, we can just spoil it here. Kevin Spacey, mm-hmm. the the murderer, John Doe. I think that's also a great convention that he's just John Doe. We don't, we never learn his real name. And this this story's not a mystery. He just turns himself in. There's right. no there's no real way to figure it out. That, well. They do figure it out, actually. I mean, kind of, yes, but it's like we don't figure it out. It's not a, it's not an Agatha Christie whodunit, right? For they, sure, they don't leave uh, clues along in the movie where like you could figure out which character is committing the murders. It's not a mystery. No, he just turns himself in, and we don't know his name because he doesn't matter. Well, the killer in this movie doesn't matter at all. The 
the crimes themselves matter and the detectives matter and everything in their peripheral life matters but he he doesn't as a character that's my that's that's my that's the hill i'm standing on right. so you come and knock me down cuz it looks like you don't Agree, but tell me what you think about the movie. Well, I, no, I, I don't I don't wholly disagree. I mean, obviously, the detectives matter much more than he does in the movie, but we do learn a little bit about his character from the journal, just from the journal entry. A little, yeah. A very little, but yeah. And, um, I mean, it, it does kind of fill him out for me. Well, tell me how. Like, how, what about what, what we learn in the journal's the dispassionate way that he views everything and everyone around him and how disconnected he is from everything, even his own self. But can't we can't we assume that from any serial killer that they're going to be like that? I guess. Like what makes him distinctly different besides the what he's doing, besides, the, you know, the modus operandi of his crimes with the seven deadly sins? What makes him different than, say, like Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy or somebody like that? Or as far as his internal dialogue, probably nothing. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, that that character could be written as a unique type of person, a unique type of, but he's an archetype. He, he's just he's just an archetype for a serial killer. Yeah. Okay. That's that's my point, because he doesn't matter. And I think they name him John Doe because it's like, who cares what his name is? It doesn't matter. We don't need his real name. It, yeah. You know, it's it's because this movie isn't about him. This movie is about the detectives. For sure. This movie is about Somerset and Mills, their families, their situations. And they're very different situations. Mm-hmm. They're similar in certain ways, but they're they're definitely different because... Somerset was close to getting married once, never did. Close and, to becoming a father once, never did. And is alone, and and never did because of his, because of his decision. Yeah, too. Because he didn't want to bring a child into the world because he had become so hardened from the work that he did. He, yeah, he says many times that he doesn't understand the world anymore. Almost like the killer, kind of. Yeah. Where he doesn't, he sees, you know, he says, actually their philosophies are somewhat similar because at one point Kevin Spacey says we see uh, a deadly sin on every street corner and we ignore it because it's become common. It doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. And Morgan Freeman has a similar thing where he talks about someone who got mugged and the mugger, uh, stabbed both the guy's eyes out or whatever. And it happened last night, you know, a few blocks away from where their, their precinct is. And the Kevin's like, yeah, I read it, you know, like, and no, and he doesn't care either. Uh-huh. Like he's like, whatever, you know, I read it. What about it? It's not ours. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't care about that story. And Morgan Freeman's point is this is not the world that I grew up in. The world has become in an ugly place. I don't think that that is strictly true. No. Well, I think it's always ugly. I mean, for our reality, you know what? Like, I don't think our reality, like the reality of this movie and the world of this movie is darker than ours. I think there are things that go on 
you know, in, in, in our world and in, in the real world and stuff, obviously the people are still killed and, and stuff like that. And there's tragedies that happen, but I don't think that our world here in 1995 is, is dark in the way that this guy is talking about. I, I think that the world is always dark and there's always evil and it's just a matter of perspective because it's also always good and always light. And there's, there's some of both things. That's what and I'm it's what these men have chosen to make their lives about is mm-hmm. the dark. So of course it's going to seem worse than it would to somebody else who, yeah. like a fifth grade teacher from upstate New York. Right. It probably doesn't seem as dark to her. Yeah, it's a real Plato's Cave situation, to where it's uh, they can't see. Yeah, they can only see what you know what's right in front of them. <clears throat> and I, I, yeah, I agree with that. But I think that so I think this this movie. The tone of this movie, the darkness of this movie is all from his perspective. I think he's, I think Morgan Freeman's the main character of the, of the movie. Okay. I mean, you know, obviously Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman share ma- main character duties, mm-hmm. but I think the viewpoint character of this movie is him. That makes sense because there are some scenes that take place without Brad Pitt's character, mm-hmm. but I don't think there are scenes without Morgan Freeman's or if there are there aren't very many I mean I can't think of any yeah I don't I don't think so either I bet maybe one because I mean at one point even Brad Pitt's wife talks to Morgan Freeman and they go off by themselves to talk mm-hmm. yeah to the cafe she says so weird she says she's pregnant it's still weird to me like I, we haven't really discussed this but she's lonely she doesn't know anybody there mm. And she just decides to, like, force him into the friend role for her. But <laughs> stupid. Like, I'm sorry, but call your mom or something. You're going to be my friend. <laughs> Maybe her mom's dead. Oh, that's sad. Maybe her mom got her head cut off. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually genetic. And... <laughs> but, yeah, so. The... Uh, somebody check on Blythe Danner. That's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Famous actress, Blythe Danner. Gwyneth Paltrow hasn't been in much. She's good in this movie. Yeah. She was in a movie that we didn't talk about from earlier this year, but I did see it, called Jefferson in Paris, okay. where she plays Thomas Jefferson's oldest daughter, which is funny because her mom, Blythe Danner, in the movie 1776, played Martha Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson's wife. Interesting. It is funny. Yeah. <laughs> so she played, she, her mom played Thomas Jefferson's wife, and she played Thomas Jefferson's daughter. And she's, you know, yeah. But yeah, her dad is Bruce Paltrow, uh, 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 legendary producer. You know what? You know what he produced? Hmm. <laughs> I see how you got you got nervous. Well, yeah, he you're produced, putting your hands on buttons. He produced one of. I'm not going to play it, but he produced Saint Elsewhere. Oh, do, that's do, what do, it was. Do, okay. do, you were going to play it. Yeah, I was. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he produced that. That's her dad. And then Blythe Danner, famous actress, is her mom. She's been in a couple things, but nothing big. This is probably her biggest role, honestly. And it's not it's not a big, meaty role, but this yeah. is probably her biggest role. But yeah, she did She did a fine job, and you know, she's cute. She'll probably be in a lot of things. We'll she, see. We'll yeah. see what happens. Um, I mean, you know, she's not going to do much in, in life, you know, in this movie, because she, uh, spoiler, spoiler, right? she dies. So, yeah. Off screen. Yeah. You know, and it's weird the things they choose to make happen on and off screen. I mean, I guess it was just to have the shock of, you know, him finding out. Well, here, and here's the thing, too. 
This is how effective the movie is. Okay. And this is another thing that I think is brilliant about the movie. Throughout the entire thing, we get, you know, an overweight man who was force fed and then kicked in the stomach. So he exploded Aww. basically. Right. And like his stomach exploded from the, the inside out. Uh, we get a guy that was bled, you know, to death and you no, know, no, not just bled to death, forced to cut a parts pound of, of himself off. Right. On a scale of justice. Oh. We get a woman who was, you know, we don't and this we don't see this really much. either. No, yeah, they don't. They don't talk. I mean, they don't show us the woman at all. No, at least. I mean, they show us like a picture of her right. beforehand, but we don't see the body. No. And the guy, the guy that was kept sloth, the guy that was kept for a year in bed, we see him still alive. Uh, And so we see all these horrific stuff, right? The climax of this movie is Morgan Freeman bending down and cutting a box open, the contents of which we don't ever see or get a hint at. Kudos to Morgan Freeman. But the way, yeah, the acting in that situation Mm -hmm. and the way... That the cinematography and the way that that whole thing is filmed, it's the simplest thing in the world. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's a box. The the prop is an empty box. I mean, maybe they put, like, sand in it or, or something like that, or maybe they put a prosthetic in it. I doubt it. I doubt they went to the trouble of making that. We don't even see a wisp of hair. Nothing. <laughs> you don't see anything inside no. that box. So there's all these horrific images, and the climax is the simplest, bloodless, most bloodless thing to film. Just Morgan Freeman in a box. And then uh, Brad Pitt saying, what's in the box? <laughs> God. He does a really good job in, yes. that, in that scene, too, of conveying all Horror the emotions. And loss and just anguish. And anger, too. Ang- yeah. And, you know, God, I got I to gotta say, he can cry. That, oh, yeah. that man can cry. Like, in Legends of the Fall, mm-hmm. he does quite a bit of crying. Yeah. And in loses this movie. A, loses another uh, wife in, yeah. in Legends of the Fall. And in this Is movie, Brad Pitt he does some... to every wife that he has in movies die? <laughs> I don't know. Well, interview with a vampire, he lost that girl. Yeah. Did he cry, though? I don't think he cried. Oh, well, <laughs> he didn't. But I'm just saying, he like, that's crazy. Yeah. But I just, I really wonder, like, if I ever got a chance to, like, interview Brad Pitt, like, if I had one question, (laughs) right, if I had one question, it would be, like, where do you go in your brain to Mm. make yourself cry like that? Brad Pitt, come on our show. Right. (laughs) Because it is, it's impressive. It is pretty impressive. He's a good actor. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, but, you know, that's interesting, like I said, that's interesting to me. No, I got a question. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I got a question for you, though. Mm Mm-hmm. End of the movie, his wife's head is in a box. Right. So this asshole killer tells him that he, I think is saying he raped his wife, or at least tried to, before he killed her. And because he says he went to play husband, he went to try to play husband to his wife. I don't think he did. The Nothing about his character, I think he just like... Like, hey, honey, you know, I'm reading the paper and stuff like that. Nothing about his character suggests to me that he has any kind of sexual interest. If he did, he'd be the one to have fucked that prostitute to death. Yeah. He just ordered somebody else to do it. But he... I guess. I To me, that that's lust. 
like he just envied his life. That was the whole the whole thing. I don't think he raped her. Okay. That's my interpretation. I could be wrong, but that's my interpretation. Either way, he's telling him, hey, I killed your wife today. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Freeman's telling him, don't shoot him because then he'll win because he has the sin of envy and now Red Pitt's going to have the sin of wrath. Mm-hmm. John Doe has the upper hand. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he fucking does it anyway. Yeah. Would you? <laughs> well, his face... I mean, his face conveys all of it Mm because he says it to Brad Pitt and he says, oh, God. And it's like it's Sophie's choice, right? Because it's like, fuck this guy. I want to make him pay. Mm -hmm. I guess I don't. That's a hard. That's a hard question to ask. If you ask me in the like right now, emotionlessly, Mm -hmm. where I can sit through and think through it logically, I would say, no, I wouldn't kill him. Because I would reason out that the bigger torture for him would be to sit in jail for the rest of his life, knowing that I didn't succumb to wrath. But then, if you think about it, he could be like, it could be like a Hannibal Lecter situation, right? Where he's in jail, right? I I could totally see, and this could have been an alternate ending in the movie. I could totally see him being in Kevin Spacey being in jail and then Brad Pitt coming to him and him being like, see lesson learned you, you rejected this. Like, and he still would have won, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Almost more insidiously he would have won because he, because he could say he could take like the moral high ground. I taught you, I taught you not to, you know, we see a sin on every corner and stuff like that. You have evolved now because of me. Yeah. So, like, what do you do? It's it's a no win situation. That's in my opinion. That's it's a no. And that and maybe he would have done that if he didn't kill him. Maybe he had both those plans in his head. Huh. So it's like maybe it didn't matter to him either way. If he got killed, whatever. If he didn't get killed, then he could gloat in this way. Wow. That's dark. Yeah. Well, that's me. See, and I, I think that shooting him was too easy. Mm-hmm. Like, he, I would have wanted to torture him more. I would have wanted to, like, at least to hit him. I mean, pulling the trigger of a gun, that's not releasing much as no. far, you know. Unfortunately, there's nothing he could do. Like, he couldn't torture him. He there's, could stomp on of, his head. I guess, but there's a bunch of cops, like, <laughs> flying around. I don't know. And I, I honestly, like, I was kind of surprised he didn't save a bullet for himself. Oh, wow, that's dark. <laughs> that's what I would have done. Interesting. Well, if he, di- if he did, then then there would be seven, like, all of them would be dead. Yeah. All the seven deadly sins would be dead. But he's destroyed as a person now. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's clear. Yeah. He'll never, that, and maybe he will kill himself eventually. Because, you know, he, it's always going to torture his brain. He was, you know, I could have caught him this time. When yeah, he, was he photo- let him go. When he was photographing me. He let know? him fucking go. Yeah, and that's what he's always going to say. He's going he's gonna to question himself constantly, and he probably will kill himself. That character's probably dead in, in the world of that movie. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, the whole thing is, it's a, it's a downer, depressing movie, but that's... But it's a really good movie. That's... that's <laughs> The point of it. It's yeah. not supposed to be happy. 
And there is no happy ending to a movie like that. No. Morgan Freeman says he'll be around. Do you think he's still going to retire? No. I don't either. I think he's. I think he is not reinvigorated. That makes it sound like like this got his motor running or something. But I think he. I think he's like. I need to do more. You know. Yeah. I think if he had been allowed to retire before this case, he might have been able to retire with some sense of peace. Mm-hmm. But now it's like he doesn't feel like he's done anything to make the world better because it's still so bad. Yeah. Agreed. It's <laughs> the whole thing. Like, we just dig more into it. And it's more and more <laughs> sadness. You know, how did you feel like physically when you left the theater? I mean, I felt kind. Of, I felt wrecked. Yeah. You know? Like, like I was like literally nauseated. Like it's yeah. it's such a ride that movie. It's very good though. It is. It, I mean, it's worth seeing. Just be prepared. Yeah, it's not happy. Don't take your grandma to this movie. No. <laughs> Come on, Nana. Let's go watch Seven. It's about the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, psychoe. Definitely worth seeing. Kevin Smith was, or Kevin Spacey was good in this too. Yes, for sure. He he, he hasn't been in a ton either. I mean, he was in that, uh, we saw Outbreak. He had a role in that. Yeah. He's good at playing like assholes or, or like, you know, psycho kind of people, like bad people, like people with, you know, bad morals. He's good at playing very like straight. Mm, and cold. Yeah. He is cold. Yep. But anyway, so that's the episode for this week. Carol, why don't you tell the people what they need to do? So you can write us at latefee1994 at AOL.com. Absolutely. Visit our website at retrolatefee.com. Do that too. Tell your friends, share the tapes, Mm -hmm. and give us the stars. That's right. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.